0: One of the most recognizable themes in the Christmas story is that of the shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Hello again, friends. I'm Wayne Shepherd, the host here on Encounter God's Truth. And today we have a program designed to uplift you in the grace of God as we celebrate the coming of Christ into this world in humility to be our Savior. Our Bible teacher is author and theologian, Dr. John Whitcomb. And today... He takes an in-depth look at those shepherds and the wonderful things we can learn from these humble messengers and their predecessor, a young man in the Old Testament named David. Here's Dr. Whitcomb with a very special message for this Christmas weekend. It's entitled, Christmas from a Shepherd's Perspective.
1: Friends, at this Christmas season, we're amazed at how God revealed the coming of Jesus when he came 2,000 years ago to this earth to the most humble level of human society in Israel the shepherds. Listen to what God tells us about these humble people. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse number 8. And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in their fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds began to say one to another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child, and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. <clears throat> now notice, friends, these humble messengers that God enlisted, uh, recruited to tell Israel and ultimately the whole world about Jesus and his first coming his incarnation, his virgin birth, uh, were faithful to the message that was entrusted to them. Did you notice what it says over and over again? They didn't question the message from heaven like many do today. They immediately believed what was told them and obeyed what was uh, commanded them to do. They found the baby and immediately when they arrived at Bethlehem and found that manger, verse 17, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. They told Mary and Joseph what the angels had told them about the baby Jesus. Secondly, notice this verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. By whom? The shepherds. The shepherds went everywhere telling people what they had been told about Jesus. And that is an amazing thing. I'd like to know how many people they contacted, how many people heard the message. Because for 30 years... There's nothing said, is there, in the Gospels about a message going forth. Yes, we heard about Simeon and Anna and a handful of people that were looking for the consolation of Israel, but we don't know very much about any message going forth during those 30 years while Jesus was growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, as Dr. Luke tells us. But this is an amazing statement. People were told by these shepherds, a whole army of humble, humble men, who were telling the nation about the first coming, the incarnation, the virgin birth of the baby Jesus. And, and notice how Mary was amazed at what the shepherds told her and Joseph. But then Dr. Luke, the author of this gospel, adds a little footnote here in verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She was amazed at what The angel of the Lord had told the shepherds, and the shepherds had told her and Joseph, her husband, and pondered them in her heart. And, of course, she pondered them for years. And uh, she later, of course, told Dr. Luke, who recorded this by inspiration. And I'm so amazed at how God used humble instruments like these shepherds to spread the first message of the incarnate Christ. Really? Look at verse 20. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Now, friends, think of what that means for us today. Are we telling everybody we meet in restaurants, stores, neighbors, friends, family, loved ones, all the things that have been told to us about Jesus, the Savior of the world? Are, are we faithful to make known what's been told to us, By God, through his word today. Now we have a lot more than those shepherds had, don't we? We have the full story of how the Lord Jesus grew up from a baby to a boy to a man and then began his public ministry of miraculous signs and wonders to uh, attract attention to a soul-saving message about the, the king and the kingdom and repentance and coming into his realm of truth and love. Yes, we know more than those shepherds could ever have known or even lived to know. Probably most of them died before Jesus did. And we know today, don't we, that he not only died on that cross, which pierced Mary's heart through uh, agonizing to see her son on a cross crucified, but praise God, during the last three hours he was on that cross, he paid in full the penalty of our sin and became sin for us. Oh, my God, my God, he cried out. Why hast thou forsaken me? And we know the answer to that too, don't we? So that we could be saved. He suffered eternal hell for three hours that we might experience eternal heaven and glory with him. How do we know that for sure? How do we know that really happened? Because three days after Jesus died, he arose triumphant from the grave, not just a resuscitation to mortal life like Lazarus and others, But a glorified body, he's the first fruits of them that slept, the only human in the universe who has a glorified body. And afterward, they that are his that is coming, which could be today. So we just say, Lord, how amazing it is that you chose such humble people to do this work of witnessing, of explaining who Jesus really, really was. And I say, help me to understand how you operate today with people. Now, if you go back, dear friends, a thousand years before the shepherds, you can see another example of how God used a humble shepherd. And his name was David. Listen to Psalm number eight. David, the youngest, the most humble, can I say, and socially speaking, the most degraded of that family of Jesse, to have to take care of those sheep, those animals at night, with wolves and lions threatening i mean later he told king saul that he had to kill a lion and a bear with his own hands to defend those those sheep that had been entrusted to him by his father now one advantage that shepherd boy had while his older brothers and his parents were sleeping peacefully at home he could lie on his back on that grassy hillside near bethlehem and look up into the sky and see the stupendous display of the omnipotence, and omniscience, and glory of God in the heavens above. You remember Psalm 19, when I the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, night unto night shows knowledge, night unto night. We rarely go out at night to lie on our back and look up and see the stars and the planets, do we? And the beautiful moon out there. Listen to what David says. Psalm number 8, verse 3. When I consider thy heavens... The work of thy fingers, the moon, and the stars, which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou dost take thought of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? He believed in Genesis chapter 1, didn't he? Where we're told in verse 16 that God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and he made the stars also. Billions, trillions, quadrillions of stars. Yes, each with its own name, its own uniqueness, its own distinctiveness. According to Isaiah 40 and Psalm 147, every star has a name, in a sense personalized by the God of creation. Now, how many stars do you think David, that shepherd boy, could see as he looked up in the sky at night? Maybe three or four thousand on a clear, clear night. Three or four thousand Friends, how many stars are there? Well, now we have Hubble Telescope orbiting the Earth and exploring the depths of the universe, and it, 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 there's no end. There's there's no complete count. Uh, even Einstein years ago said the number of stars in the heavens that had already been seen uh, in Mount Palomar Telescope and so forth in California is more, listen now, more than all the grains of sand of all the shores of the oceans of the world. Trillions, quadrillions, almost innumerable. In in fact, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah said, we'll never be able to count them all. Listen to what he said in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 37. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, Then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Israel has done terrible things to God through the centuries, has it not? Yes, that's much of the Old Testament, sad to say, especially when they rejected the Lord Jesus, their own Messiah. But God says, I will never cast them off because it's an unconditional covenant that I made through Abraham. So God told Jeremiah to tell Israel to tell us all that we cannot measure the universe. If we ever do, number one, what would the edge look like? What would be beyond the edge? This is incomprehensible. And so God says, no matter what Israel has ever done, I will keep my covenant with them, and furthermore, you'll never measure the universe. And listen to Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 22, in which this is re-emphasized. This is very important to God, is it not? Jeremiah thirty-three, twenty-two, As the host of heaven cannot be counted... And the sand of the sea cannot be measured. Notice the comparison. The number of stars like the sand of the sea. So I will multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who minister to me. There have been millions and millions of Israelites, Jews, throughout the centuries. And so will be the host of heaven by comparison. And I say, now, Lord, I'm amazed at what that shepherd boy could see as he looked up at night lying on his back and marveling at the magnitude of the universe around him. You see, friends, what God entrusted to that humble shepherd boy. Don't you wonder, well, what were his older brothers thinking? They were sleeping. They didn't care that much about the heavens or about the glory of God, apparently. I don't know how many of them were true born-again believers in that family, but we know that David was the one that God chose and prepared to be the ruler of Israel because he humbly acknowledged the glory and greatness of his God. And I say, friends, today, too, let's be careful. We don't have to listen to great scholars, great professors from great universities, great politicians, no great scientists. We listen sometimes to humble people who have personally met the Savior. And so the shepherds were the ones that God chose because they would not argue with God. And so the humble shepherd David was overwhelmed, wasn't he, by the magnitude of the universe. He thought, well, if, if God is that great, and the universe is that enormous, how can he possibly care about poor little me? And so he asks that question, doesn't he, that we all ask increasingly as we see how great the universe really, really is. What is man? That thou dost take thought of him and the son of man, another word for human being, that thou dost care for him. Apparently, we amount to nothing. And I I would think that every university student in the world who is learning about how great the universe is and that we are just products of chance through time, would just say, well, I'm I'm insignificant. I'm worthless, meaningless, without any purpose or plan. Nobody cares about how I got here and why I'm here and where I'm going. So, friends, that is a haunting thought that dominates our intellectuals today, isn't it? Who are we? What are we? Uh, are we just here by chance, coming from nowhere, going nowhere, And that's a question that only God himself can answer because David goes on to quote the scriptures to give him a perspective on this, doesn't he? You remember Psalm 8, verse 5? Yet, in spite of the apparent insignificance of man, this humble shepherd boy says what? Yet thou hast made him, man, a little lower than God and dost crown him with glory and majesty. Thou dost make him to rule over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field and birds of the heavens and fish of the sea and whatever passes through the paths of the seas. He's quoting Genesis chapter 1, isn't he? Where God says that he created man in his image and likeness. No animal has that. Only man has the image and likeness of God. And I say, Lord, help me to understand what this means for me today. And so, friends, you know, when you go back to that 2000-year Ago event at the little place, the manger in Bethlehem, to which the shepherds were drawn, they understood something that the greatest scholars in the world today cannot fathom. They are saying, we have found the Savior of the world. We have found him. Uh, The angel of the Lord told us about him. And so they are faithfully spreading the message everywhere in ancient israel and i say lord i'd like to know what really happened as a result how long did these shepherds live how long did they keep telling people well we know that david lived to be the king of israel and told the whole world in his psalms and, and about the greatness and the glory of god didn't they uh, wouldn't you like to have an interview with these individual shepherds that saw the baby jesus and talked to mary and joseph and i say lord what does that mean for me today uh I want to be humble before you, too. I want to be like a shepherd. I want to be uh, accountable. I want to be responsive. I want to be faithful. I want to be diligent to tell everybody I meet, maybe with a gospel tract, uh, a, a smile, a little message of hope that there's life eternal through Jesus to catch somebody's attention as you may give me opportunity. Uh, Humble me before you, Lord, that I may not in arrogance or pride say this is uh, beneath my dignity. No, friends, God will raise the humble and glorify them and honor them if they humble themselves beneath the mighty hand of God. In fact, if we do that, we're told in the New Testament, if we humble ourselves beneath the mighty hand of God, we can even rebuke the devil and he will flee from us. He is very terrified. Satan is at the humble saint, bowing before God, the almighty God of the universe, to obey him, to listen to him, and to honor him. And I say, Lord, help me understand how I can therefore fit into your program for the world today. At this Christmas season, dear friends, we have a wonderful opportunity, don't we, to share the message. We we understand that less and less is our nation politically, yes, educationally, scientifically committed to the Christmas message, yet less and less honoring the Lord and the Word of God. But the deepening darkness is simply an environment in which the light of Jesus can shine brighter. So may God help us in humility like those shepherds 2,000 years ago and like Shepherd David 3,000 years ago. Say, Lord, I want to be a light reflector. In the deepening darkness may I be seen in effect around the world as one who believes in God and takes his word seriously, and seeks to honor what he's told me to do. Help me to do do like those shepherds did, and to take the message to everybody that they may know about you. And I say, Lord, I thank you that you yourself one day became so humble that you became a little baby in the arms of a Jewish woman named Mary, that we might realize that not the size of something and the apparent magnitude of spectacular things, but humble things that are in the will and plan and purpose of God, that we might glorify Him and Him alone because of who He is and what He's done and the wonderful Bible He's entrusted to tell us what He did and why. And so friends, may you have a blessed Christmas this year and glorify the Lord like David did and like those shepherds did and tell people about Jesus whom you've discovered and reflect His glory into their lives at this season. Have a wonderful and blessed time with your family, your friends, your neighbors, around the whole world, in fact. We're all neighbors to each other, are we not? At this blessed time of the year, may God bless you.
0: It is fitting that the Lord Jesus' birth was announced to these shepherds, for Christ himself came to be our shepherd, taking a place under his Father's authority as a servant. So with the historical background that we've already looked at in place, Dr. Whitcomb turns now to Philippians 2 to teach us how Christ, our good shepherd, humbled himself so greatly in our behalf. Here again is Dr. Whitcomb.
1: Friends, what a wonderful opportunity to celebrate his self-denial, his self-denial of his independent exercise of attributes of greatness. Those are big words, aren't they? But here's the point. Jesus Christ, who came to this world, humbled himself. Listen to Philippians chapter 2. Have this attitude in yourselves, Paul said to his favorite supporting church at Philippi, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, that is, in glory forever, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he was equal with the Father in his glory, his deity. But he didn't grasp that selfishly. No, he reached out to us. Amazing. Amazing. Listen to what he did at that first Christmas. He emptied himself. The Greek word kenosis. we call this the kenosis, the self-emptying of the second person of the Godhead. Of what? His deity? No, no, no. Of the exercise independently of the Father of certain attributes of greatness, such as omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence. Now, those are big words too, aren't they? Listen to what he set aside and sacrificed for our good, for, for our salvation. He emptied himself Taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Amazing. When you stop to think how far down Jesus had to come to get even to this planet. You remember back there in Psalm 113, how God describes the distance he has to transverse to get to this planet. Psalm one thirteen verse four The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. Now listen to this. Who is like the Lord our God who is enthroned on high? Who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? God is so infinitely beyond the universe, friends, he has to humble himself to find the universe. For us the universe is infinite. To him is infinitesimal. But listen to how he humbles himself. Psalm 113, verse 7. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Now, this is beyond our comprehension, of course, because over and over in Jeremiah 31, 33, uh, in Jeremiah chapters 31 and chapter 33, he tells us if we ever measure the universe... He will cast off Israel from his people. That is that is impossible. He says, try it. You will never achieve it. You'll never get to the end, of the, no matter how big or wonderful your telescopes are. You'll never be able to measure the universe. Think, therefore, how far above the universe God is that he had to humble himself to even find it, and then to come through all those galaxies, down to this galaxy called the Milky Way, down to one little star called the sun, one little planet called Earth, and there he appeared 2,000 years ago as a member of the human race. And I say, Lord, I'm just amazed at this. You emptied yourself, Lord Jesus, to come down to be with us. Now, he didn't empty himself, remember, of his deity, see, of his moral attributes love love, holiness, righteousness, and truthfulness, but of the exercise independently of his Father, as he had been able to do before and as he does now, of his knowledge of everything, omniscience, his power to do anything, omnipotence, his being everywhere at the same time, omnipresence, those attributes of greatness we call them, not moral attributes, attributes of greatness, he voluntarily, deliberately, intentionally set aside to come down to be with us and enter the human race, unbelievable at this Christmas, we think of this, as a tiny baby in the arms of a Jewish mother named Mary in Bethlehem of Judea. How he emptied himself to take on the form of a man, even to what? To die upon a cross. Absolutely spectacular. The love gift of God the Father to the human race, his own beloved son, to pay in full finally as a true, genuine member of the human race. And remember, he's always gonna be a man as well as God, two natures, one person. In order to be able to die for us and represent us as a kinsman redeemer, he is like us in many ways, Not sin, not sin, Uh, but he's our representative. And I say thank you, God, for the true message of Christmas and what you really did when you sent your son and he voluntarily came to glorify his father and to win you and me, friends, by paying in full the penalty we could never pay, confirmed by his resurrection from the dead.
0: Thank you, Dr. Whitcomb. And with that, we conclude our presentation of the Christmas story for this year here on Encounter God's Truth. If you're looking for more teaching about Christ's birth, you'll find it at sermonaudio.com forward slash Whitcomb. Just go to sermons and search for the keyword Christmas. Also, make sure to find the latest on our web pages at whitcombministries.org and facebook.com forward slash Whitcomb Ministries. Once again, I'm your host, Wayne Shepard. God's Word is true from the beginning to the end, so we encourage you to find your hope in the Scriptures this Christmas season. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. On behalf of all of us at Whitcomb Ministries, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas.